San Geronimo Valley, San Geronimo, California. And uh, we were just talking about how funny it is. Like, yeah, like I feel like I know you, even though this is our first time meeting. Yeah, just for sure. Familiar faces in the V, you know? Yeah, if you grow up out in San Geronimo Valley, then there's always a connection. Yeah. It got a community feel and it always will. I think people that, you know, people that know it know it. So totally. I never realized, like, what's the population out here? Like 4,000 or something like that? Can't be much. That always sounded like a big number to me until I went out into the world (laughs) and then everyone's like, oh, you're like, Fairfax got 15? Yeah. Thousand? Exactly. Not that I know that that's what it is, but yeah, something like that. But beautiful day. We've got the bees buzzing, we've got the flowers blooming. Um, and we're today we're here talking about this book that you're, that you just wrote and are in the process of publishing. And, um, maybe we can just start by, you know, I'm kind of interested, like, what's the process been like for you in, uh, you know, identifying this story and then, you know, making the decision to, to write a, write a book about it. Um, I mean, I would say kind of started in 2006 when I first read my grandpa's autobiography and okay. became aware of what, you know, my grandpa and his family went through when Hitler took over Austria where they lived and um, had to flee. So I read it then after he passed away and the story had a big effect on me. I remember feeling like I wanted to kind of create something else too from that. And, um, you know, a lot of time went by. And then 2020, I reread it when we all had a bunch of time on our hands. And um, it just kind of really sunk in that I wanted to put together a document, basically, a book, you know, that detailed all of this stuff that I could find out about my grandpa's uncle. His name was Paul Paddock. And um, he, you know, he's responsible for, you know, me having a life, you know, when it comes down to it. And, you know, it came, became very clear and really started to sink in the second time I read my grandpa's autobiography, um, you know, just how much he meant to the family and what he did and, you know, the type of person he was. It just kind of was shining through in my grandpa's writing and the way he would, you know, talk about him. And, you know, it's it's really interesting because my grandpa and I were never close in his lifetime. We never communicated much, but he wrote his entire life down. So I feel like I've really gotten to know him and, you know, his uncle, who the book's about, you know, that's, that that was the main, you know, it was, it was more than a real passion. It was like an urgency, honestly. It was Mm. like, oh, this, this needs to be compiled so that our family really, you know, puts a spotlight on it for ourselves, who Paul Paddock was to us, because, you know, I don't want to talk bad about my, my family and whatnot, but the story was, a little bit kind of just sitting to the side of the situation and, you know, not, in my opinion, honored in the mm. sense that it should be because, you know, I mean, it's it's a weird thing to realize that events that took place and decisions that somebody made that I'm not actually related to bloodline-wise, like his sister's my grandma or my great-grandma, um, but, you know, I exist because of him, yeah, like things that he decided to do, like him not wanting to go in traditional 
form of education, become a doctor, a lawyer type thing. He wanted to work with metal and started to become, you know, an expert in that, got a degree right before World War One, and then went into World War One and probably having his engineering degree helped him because he ends up being in charge of a searchlight division. And he's, you know, mostly in the rear of the action, I would assume, me being in charge of a searchlight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that that helped him in World War One, and he survived it without any, you know, physical or mental, you know, issues that the, you know, the family wrote about at least. And, um, and then after the war becomes a real expert metal worker in a train factory. And basically that little window in time where he learned how to be an expert drop forge engineer led to, you know, when Hitler came in in 1938, he had the knowledge and the expertise to apply for a job that he got. He saw an ad in some Jewish newspaper that this guy in Japan, um, his name was Carl Rosenberg, had put in looking for a drop forge engineer for, it was a Swiss firm or factory. It was a Japanese factory, but a Swiss firm or something. But um, so they put an ad looking for a drop forge engineer. Mm -hmm. And Paul saw it April 1st. Hitler invaded um, Austria on March 12th, 1938. So not too long after, you know, within a few weeks, he gets shown this ad and applies for the job. All these cables go back and forth. That's definitely one of the most interesting parts of the story is when I was communicating with somebody that had written a book. This German guy had written a book about some German guy that was in Japan, and he saw that there was a 52-page file on Paul Paddock in these records that were originally compiled in Jerusalem and then the um, D DC, um, the Holocaust Museum in DC, you know, microfiched it and made it much more readily available. So, so you had all these primary sources to to were you able to access those files? Yeah, I got them like by the end of that day, I think. I remember yeah. it being really fast. I was in like some Facebook forum and asking questions and this guy popped in saying that he, you know, was writing, he wrote a book and he was researching it and he saw Paul Paddock's name written in one of the documents that he had and he actually showed it to me. And then he said, yeah, there's a 52 page file. It's called the Paul Paddock file and it's sitting in Jerusalem and you can ask him for it. And then I asked him, I didn't know it was in DC at that point, but then I kind of was looking around and it, you know, the internet, you can mm -hmm. find all these holes and all of a sudden you click on a button and yeah. I asked for it and said who I was, said the file number and, you know, the I'm, Holocaust Museum was great. They sent it to me right away. I'm curious. I kind of want to take you back to this, the kind of moment of discovery because I think as you were saying, right, you're reading this biography, autobiography of your grandfather, um, but that you noticed that this story wasn't maybe being told, you know, yeah. in the way that it, you, you wanted to be told, like. What was that process like? Like, how did you discover this story, or how did that first come into your um, under your radar? I mean, in two thousand six, and when I read my grandpa's autobiography, it's it's in there. The story is in there. Paul's okay. Paul's life is told because you know he saves my grandpa's life. He's his uncle. He does all of these neat, fun things before he goes to the World War One, and he gives nice gifts at Christmas time to the kids. So this is like there's this real love for his uncle that you can see in the pages. And then they both, my, my grandpa and his brother 
his brother's name was Kurt, my grandpa's name was Rudy. So they both wrote like an essay strictly about Paul that in 2020, when I reread it and I got much more into it and was trying to find more, my mom um, handed me a box of my grandpa's writing, which was massive, mm. honestly. He traveled all over the world, so he wrote about all of his travels, but he had written these, this, he'd written an essay and then he got his brother to write one, basically strong-armed him into it. You can tell by the way his brother starts it. Nice. Um, but, you know, it's just both of the brothers knew that their uncle, you know, through his skills and his expertise and, you know, also winning the lottery literally right before, the, you know, he left Austria and getting a way to cash the winnings and have them held in Austria. And um, that's the money that paid for my grandpa and his brother to leave. In you know, January of 39, they would finally leave Europe. And then Paul's sister, my great grandma, and their parents, Leopold and Irma, leave, I don't know, three or four months after my grandpa and his brother left. And they all get to Japan safely without visas, apparently. Hmm. Um, and my grandpa ends up going to Peking, you know, now Beijing and going to a medical school and getting his degree. He was four exams away from getting his degree in Vienna when Hitler said, no more for you. Mm -hmm. And he had to flee. And, um, and we but, should say you, your family's Jewish, right? Through, through yeah. This, I or? mean, yeah. Historically, my paternal line is pretty thoroughly Jewish and um but I'm I'm definitely not religious in mm -hmm. any way but you know I have a lot of respect for different religions and people that are and um it's part of your heritage yeah it's 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 weird it feels more like a um like a long lost people of some sorts that like you know because I, I feel like if I was talking about you know, long lineages of Christian people, it would just be like, oh, yeah, that's my family. But right. When it gets to, you know, the Jewish situation, mm -hmm. it's, there's, um, there's a different weight to it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it, you know, yeah, started to sink in in a certain sense, you know, like, I know a lot of the key details yeah. that family members went through when Hitler went in there. And, um, well, it's historically significant too. I mean, it's a, yeah. If you didn't have that part of the story, it'd be like, well, why did these people have to flee to Japan? They wouldn't have fled. You know, like, why did you, your grandpa's about to finish his exams? Like, why why interrupt that, you know? Yeah, it's one of the reasons why it's called an ordinary man, because obviously Paul wasn't. He was quite extraordinary by the definition of extraordinary, but I feel like he would much rather have lived a pretty ordinary life, you know, and been a, been a fun-loving, happy-go-lucky guy. You know, he was gay and... Um, you know, he was openly gay in 1920s Austria, which is in 30s. It's, that's dangerous. Yeah, that's not what you, you know, are going to do if you can avoid it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's I just it started to really dawn on to me that this person was probably one of the most fascinating people to ever walk the face of the earth. And I exist because of stuff he did. He has no descendants you know, other than these kind of offshoots. And I feel like it started to make me think about it more and more. Like there's so many people out there that um, you're constantly looking to who's your grandpa, your mother, your, you know, you're going back like that line. 
but there's these, you know, like I'm an uncle and mm-hmm. I know that I'm having a big influence on my niece and nephew and, and, uh, you know, I, I know that I can be a certain person that can help them out, but, um, you know, most likely probably never going to have kids. So I'm living a very similar life that he did. And I feel like it's, I don't know, I, there's uncles and aunts t- t- tend to stick out, I think. When, like when you're a kid totally. and, and whatnot, like it's, it's, it's really easy to feel um, close to your family, but I feel like a good aunt or uncle kind of has a different place. You know? It's an They're important not- role because there's, I think, you know, as an uncle myself, I don't have kids, uh, you're able to provide a level of, of guidance uh, without, mm-hmm. because you don't have the weight of parenthood on your shoulders there's a there's a a nuance that can be created there's space for a certain level of nuance in how you are influencing the next generation yeah. and it's and a lot of free, more a, fun yeah you know? it's a lot of freedom that yeah. i'm sure can look quite annoying to oh, the ones sure. that have kids it's like that's ah, kind of part of it you know it's like, i mean hey i'm not going to apologize for being able for to go home that. and get a full night's sleep totally, <laughs> totally yeah and i i think you know one of the points that you hit on when I think about, you know, this character of Paul and this idea of, of like descendancy, in a way, you know, this story is you are a descendant through the web of causality of his actions. Yeah. Right? He's tied to you, not via, you know, the I mean, biologically, yes, but not direct lineage, but his actions have created this reality that you're able to live in. and Yeah, like literally the fact that I can even create this book is because of him, you know. It's just, it's it's a really weird position to kind of find yourself in, mm-hmm. I feel like. Um, I don't know, I don't talk to a lot of different Jewish families about how they talk about the, their history, in particular if it has anything to do with what happened in the Holocaust, but um, I know that most people didn't talk about it much and uh you know rightfully so in particular people that went to the um to like japan and china and you know were in shanghai they you know didn't write about it right after the war and for decades because you know the stuff that was coming out of europe was what it was you Mm -hmm. know and um so it took precedent and you know it was um I don't know. I mean, it's, it is a strange feeling. Like I don't, I don't really understand why I felt so compelled to get his life story out there other than like, you know, I could kind of hear him, you know, being like, Hey, you know, you do this. It's going to take a lot of time. Like <laughs> I can hear these jokes, you know, like, yeah. Oh, you're going to spend a bunch of money, and, mm-hmm. you know, and do this and that. And, but, um, you know, it was, um, I mean, it felt really special. Like, honestly, 2020 was the best year of my life in a lot of ways, you know. Like, you know, getting married was a wonderful thing and all these things. But it was it was a very, um, you know, it's like I think back to sports occasions where I, was, I thought it was so great and the feeling of it. But it was just something very organic about it and the way it built it was like i'd find one thing and it would just kind of spark my interest more to find more and then you know my little sister one day was like just hire a writer because i was constantly talking about trying to figure out a way for us to write it within the family or something and then 
So then I found this business that helped me find a ghostwriter. And, you know, a lot of the questions she asked me really opened up a lot of interesting things that are in the book and, um, you know, stuff that I, I would not have found without her, you know, so it was, it was a real perfect situation. Um, and it just, you know, took a while to do, but I feel like it was, it felt fast, you know, hmm. like it felt like about a few months each kind of section of it, the like discovery and then the like, you know, it was about maybe 10 months that would happen, but it felt like, you know, it was just really fast because it was, I don't know, it was weird. It was like discovering who I was and never knew who I was and like why. why? Yeah, that was one of my questions is like why a book, you know, especially what you shared with me about, you know, your relationship with reading growing up and stuff. Yeah, I mean. That informed your decision at all and, and, and making this story into a book rather than another. Yeah, I was never mm -hmm. a big reader. Reading was very difficult for me growing up. And I would say that's been one of the nicest blessings about this process is that I am a better reader of it because of it. And, uh, you know, I read a lot of real heavy books in terms of immigration policy and German policy, well, Nazi policy, I should say. <laughs> And, you know, and then the other part of my family is is German, you know, like my mm -hmm. grandparents met in Peking. My my grandma was, you know, she, her mother was Jewish, but her father was German and had, you know, pretty good connections within Germany. And she could have stayed in Europe, Switzerland if she wanted to. But, you know, 17 years old, wanted out of Europe, jumps on the Transiberian Railroad, like right before Germany attacked Russia and gets to Peking. So... You know, I come from, my paternal line is a very Austrian Jewish family mixed with a very kind of proud and German, you know, also Jewish because my, my great grandfather was married to a Jewish woman. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's why he had to leave the diplomatic service in Germany in like 1931 or something he left. So, yeah, I mean, it was, and it's something that I know that I'm going to keep discovering stuff. Like I haven't even... I'm going to Austria in um, in June, so nice. in like a month or so, and I'm sure that I'm going to see all kinds of things that are going to make me feel certain things that, you know, I might want wanted to have added to the book. And I actually purposely tried to not add how I felt about things and this and that because um, it would have been pretty easy to, but... Um, I kind of want the reader to just read. It's it's a very dry book, you know, in terms of its um, telling. Because, I mean, I feel like if you're telling something historically accurate, mm -hmm. you know, comedy has its place. Yeah. But you got to be really careful with it in that in that it, realm. It, my experience, it, it reads more as a chronicle than a commentary. Yeah. It reads it reads like something that's that's ready to be built out more, you know, in terms of the characters being flushed out. Mm -hmm. and, all these things. Podcast. Yep. All right. I'll uh, try not to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, 2020 was fun. Like, I kind of felt weird during that time just being like, this is just the best time ever. Because, right. you know, and I feel like there's a lot of people that felt that. Like, if you, totally. if you really took that opportunity to use that time to, to um, do whatever you wanted to do, um, you became better at it, 
after it and and you know a lot of a lot of solitude you know like i i like solitude you know mm-hmm. i grew up out here in this space where you know i spent a lot of time doing my own thing so you know it, well it was a lot it of solitude and a lot of space you know this whole podcast has came out of the pandemic and videography it gave us all space to finally look at the things that we were putting off or try a new try to build something new and yeah. it's, it's been really cool you know despite all the obvious negatives of that period of time just to see the wealth of creativity that was wrung out of people yeah i remember when it was happening feeling like oh you can just feel the creative juices coming out and i felt like there was gonna be this explosion of great music and i can't say that there was or wasn't i don't <laughs> know if i have the pulse on it enough to say yeah but um you know, I just, I don't think it was the 60s or 70s mm-hmm. music-wise or anything, but, um, you know, I think there's just so much content out there. It's hard to really know what's what's sure. out there. Yeah. You know, so, but, um, yeah, no, it was, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious. I, I, get, I, get, I get chills when I think about 2020. I yeah. Think of, like, from the time that I reread my grandpa's autobiography up until... Basically, the end of that year is when I was like, "I'm hiring a writer, and this is going to go. I don't, I don't care." My, you know, a few family members pitched in because mm-hmm. it, was, it was a chunk of money to, yeah, to do it. Sure. But um, it just felt, you know, felt really relevant for our family. But honestly, the book is really for anyone that likes family or like survival stories or, you know, just reading about what people went through during those times. There's a lot of people that, you know, they read that material pretty exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, just, it's, it's definitely a missing piece of what happened to Jewish people that went to Japan. Cause there were some that made it all the way to Japan. You know, there was quite a few that made it to Shanghai because it was the only place in the world that basically just said, you know, no visa needed, just come on down. And, you know, Sujihara, the, Japanese diplomat was writing a bunch of visas for people that they ended up in China and then, or in Japan and then China and some directly to Shanghai. So it's, um, it's a really interesting history and it's, it's, it's weird, like talking about a family and that went through, you know, World War II and, saying it's a feel-good story, but it is. Like, it really is a feel-good story. And um, I feel like Paul, I feel like he couldn't write a book about, you know, this guy Paul Paddock without it coming off as a feel-good story just just from the little factual things that he did. Like, you don't, I, I wish that I would have some of his direct writing and input to be able to put in there in some way. And I know that there was a lot because he wrote a letter every Thursday to his sister and then to his nephew after she passed away. So there was 30 some odd years of Thursday letters coming from Austria to Oakland. And, um, were those, did you find any of those? No, those were lost in the no, of I just, time? I just saw them being mentioned by, by both gotcha. my, my, both my grandpa and his brother, they, they mentioned every were Thursday. Were you able to find any of his any of his words or writing? Um, yeah, I did. And I found um, a letter that he sent to, I'm not going to say the word in German because I don't know it, but in English it translates as the Property Transactions Office. Okay. And it was an office that the Nazis set up to 
uh, rob people of their stuff, basically. Legitimize their, their thing. Yeah. You know, say you're not deserving of your stuff. Uh, I, I, I can't really figure out a way to say yeah, <laughs> why yeah. they did it, but, um, you know, so he sent a letter the day that he left and told them a few things that they should do with money that he had out there because he had a business that he had started a lock business and did quite well. So he had customers that owed him money. So he was, he was following his, uh, you know, letter of the law rule that he had to take care of his elders and saying, Hey, you know, go collect my accounts payable Nazis. Get the, you know, <laughs> he, yeah. You, I remember that from part of it, the story, didn't he like patent, he patented a new type of lock or something that. Yeah. He patented some like, springless safety lock or something. That's how my grandpa wrote it. Okay. Um, and I don't know if it's just some little part that he patented, but he was competing with like Yale locks. You know, there was, I guess there was no companies trying to compete with them really at the time. Mm -hmm. So he would travel all around Austria and go to small towns and sell the lock. And he had like a business before that selling all kinds of random things. And, you know, he was just a, I mean, he was a true Renaissance man. I mean, he made this rug that's behind me. Nice. You know, and made many, many more. Um, and he, you know, could play the cello, could play the piano. He loved to cook. You know, he was a dog man. I'm going to say he was an animal man because I'm sure he would have liked cats too. Um, but he, you know, he just, I don't know. Like, I'm pretty quick to say I love you to people if I love them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll say it to you within an hour if we something happens, yeah. you know? If some some shit goes down and it's easy to express that. Yeah, it's like if it if I feel it, I'm going to say it. And and I you know, it's just the more I got to know him, I just was like it's weird. Like I fell in love with somebody that died 10 months after I was born. Mm. I never met, never heard anything about um and, I, and and that's weird because I feel like I have memories of like my grandpa saying things like, oh, Paul, this, you know, like, you know, because I'm sure he was top of his mind for for most of his life, you know, not only just because he was a good uncle, but, you know, when the Nazis came to town, he right. got the family so, out. Yeah. It's really interesting, this idea you're like almost you're falling in love with a sh with an echo. Yeah, shadow, right? no, it really fit like it was, there was no, um, I mean, you know, I was, I'm not going to get a response that I'm going to be able to hear, but I could just feel that he was, you know, all of, like everybody that came before him, honestly, is happy that this is out there because I talk about him and I talk about his parents and then, you know, going back as far as I can go. And, you know, that's, those are the parts of the book that you're like, you're basically reading somebody else's genealogy. But I don't know, for me, I wanted it in there because it's like, you're reading about a family and families are kind of a little pedantic and boring and trudging along and things happen here and there. And this person does that and you hear about it for a minute and it goes away and you know, that's reality. And I, and that's what everybody that was, you know, in Austria at the time was going along with their life. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's 2.2% of the population was Jewish in, in Austria. Okay. But, um, you know, that small percentage was the main priority of the invading, you know, forces. And, you know, when the Germans came in, the Austrians 
for the most part, embraced it, you know, went along with it. And there was definitely a lot that didn't. And there's quite a few people that, you know, my family mentions that are in the, you know, I put them in the book. And, you know, so for me, it's like all of these different people that are just kind of like you would kind of leave them out of a biography about somebody if you had a lot more information on them and you could maybe interview them, things like that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like the, Paul was a family man. You know what I mean? Like he had very, very few regrets in his life. And I think one of the only ones was that he never got to create his own family. Um, and I think that was more just a, you know, that he was going to live the life that he felt empowered to, you know, and that was to be a creative, mischievous gay guy. And, yeah. you know, and when the chips were down, he knew what to do. Like he was, he's that, he was that guy, you know, that where it's like, if something's going wrong, you want him on your side because he might not be the strongest, the fastest, smartest, but he's going to keep you uplifted and he's going to see the opportunities as they're coming and capitalize on them and be polite through it all. And not, you know what I mean? It's like, if like you think about just getting through life doing random things, it's, you know, it can be a little, a little jarring. Just go to the grocery store and, you know, totally. go visit the doctor or whatever. And it's like, I just think about the fact that from March 12th, 1938 to uh, he leaves August 3rd, 1938, like between then and the time he leaves, it's just, we're going to take everything that you own. And if you can't figure out a way to get out of here, we're going to kill you. Mm -hmm. And if they had known for sure that he was gay, I'm sure they would have scooped him up right away. Or he's um, got a double threat. Yeah, know? he's, you know, and I feel like he, um, you know, he just didn't let it get him down. And I feel like it kind of rubbed off on on the rest of the family in a certain sense. And it's, it's pretty tragic. There's one family member that refuses Paul's help because of, I'm going to say it because of Paul's sexuality and, and he just couldn't come to terms with it. And, uh, he ends up staying behind and, uh, you can read the book and figure out how mm -hmm. he ends up going, but he doesn't make it to Japan. And, um, but you know, Paul offered him the help. Yeah. Paul forgave. I don't think that he ever had, he was never really mad at them. I think he was just probably heartbroken because, Paul was really close with his family and his sister. And, they were, you know, they were the only two siblings in the family and they were tight, you know. I'm sure he was, you know, she, she writes about him as uh, un meisig, which is basically like, um, you know, gluttonous or, you know, immoderate, like mm -hmm. someone that's just going to do whatever they want the almost. Libertine. Yeah, just keep keep doing it type yeah, thing. Yeah. So he, um, you know, and I don't know, I just, I just, like you read a lot about um, humor during the Holocaust and how important it was, like, and how important it is, you know, basically to get through anything in life, but particular that time. And you know, the Jewish people have a long connection with humor, and oh yeah, and I feel like it's, um, you know, same thing with with black people and the history of slavery. I mean, it's just like it's one of I mean, I think it's one of the great coping mechanisms that yeah when you're down you need a joke sometimes you can't absorb it but you still need it yeah. you know and and it's like when you got those people around that they can kind of keep that that vibe light um like it goes a long way and it's like it's not measurable mm -hmm. like how can i measure um 
the effect that Paul Paddock had on the rest of the family, but I can see it in the, the deeds that he did and, and what it must have taken for him to plan it that way and to always, always be there for the family. Like, like he just, was, was, like, I can't find anything about him that I don't like, <laughs> you know. It makes me think of like, I have this kind of concept or theory you, you think about the different these different moments in history, uh, you know, where where there's conflict or chaos or upheaval, mm-hmm. and you know, growing up, I'm of Jewish heritage as well, and I have had family, you know, cut great great cousins. My 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 grandma's cousins died in the gas ovens, and you hear so many stories of these heroic escapes and the many like left turns, the, the zigs that had they been zags, I wouldn't be here, Yeah, you know, and it makes me think about, you know, we, we think about these, uh, nice dude, movement of job people. And I should put mine on silent as well. Um, but it, it makes me think about, you know, during these great, these big moments, I guess growing up in the States too and thinking about something like the Holocaust, you know, one of the obvious questions is like, could it happen here? Could authoritarianism take, take hold? What would I do? I've played that like, yeah, I've played that, uh, that fantasy out in my mind a bunch of times, even going back to being a kid. And I think if you look at the, you know, the stories, millions of stories woven through these huge events. There's these characters that emerge that are people that were able to kind of dance through the experience with grace, even in the darkest of times, and maintain a level of optimism and humor and and really grace through it all, where you're like, man, this person lived through the heaviest of experiences, but their life is not a tragedy. They were, they were able to maintain, you know, or not maintain, but they were able to still live a life that was, you know, that's attractive from the outside. And it sounds like, you know, this yeah. guy was one I of mean, those people. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I don't think I would sign up to live through World War One or be a Jewish person in Central Europe during World War Two. I don't like, but um, I'd be honored to live the life that Paul Paddock did and right. tell you that. I mean, it's just like, if I don't know, like the fact that I'm, I feel like I'm so inspired to, to talk about him mm-hmm. and that he, you know, really would have just disappeared into time in a lot of sense. And, and a lot of, and, and, and it just, it started to make me realize more and more, like there's just all these gems of stories that um, obviously a lot of them are gone because they can't be told or whatever, but I feel like they're, detectable like through research in certain senses and it you know it takes the individual family member starting to look because they're the ones with the authority to do it and you know the i don't want to say passion because it's more like a it's like a weird kind of drive you know like i feel like a passion is more like for a hobby that you know you can put down (laughs) at Mm -hmm. some point um but you know it's like it's something that is it changed my life for sure and I know that the more I put into it, the more it has the ability to change my perspective of who I am 
And, you know, when you read the book, it honestly makes you question all kinds of things like about, you know, yourself and mm -hmm. your, your own dynamics with your family and, you know, greed and certain things. It's like, it just, it's, it's a real kind of basic telling of probably one of the most amazing stories to happen. And, you know, I, you know, at some point I would like to get, you know, some really good writer that really understands um, the, the time and how to convey emotion to where it's respectful and, and wrap it into the mm -hmm. modern sense that there, obviously there are a ton of parallels. Yeah. It kind of starts to freak me out to make them um, because I actually understand quite well the methods that Hitler used to get what he got. And, you know, I'm not going to point my fingers at anyone, <laughs> but it's, it's, it, it's effective. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's, um, but you know, I'm not a writer, honestly. Um, it's like, you know, what, what I, would you call, how would you, I do like writing though. How I would you define, that. yeah. How would you define though, the, you know, your role in the creation of this book, of this document, like, you know, I'm, you're getting an author credit, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. I mean, I did write probably 15% of it. Mm -hmm. um, the first draft that was done with, with the ghostwriter, her name is Carrie Galertner. She's great. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's much more of a family document. It's got a lot, a lot more like dates and addresses and things like that. So, that, you know, if somebody wants to look into it in the future it's mm -hmm. all right there and then this one um you know it, it's had some feedback on it and some changes here and there and some information that i took out and some that i added some that i found after you know the first round was published um so what was the question i was just curious you know like this you when you say that you you wrote like 15 percent of it but I think maybe that's the difference between when you think about like the term writer versus like an author. Like yeah. It's more of like, wasn't just like putting pen to paper, but you almost, you produced this book, right? There was a director or producer yeah. role that I'm just trying to get to like, yeah, the way it felt you like think it, about your role in creating this document. No, it felt like a real, real kind of team effort. You know, my wife, who's much better at grammar and sentence structure and things like that, you know, definitely helped me a lot. And, um, you know, Story Terrace, the, the company that I hired to write the book. Um, so I had a lot of help and, you know, a lot of my family, I could tell were, um, you know, grateful and excited that I was so into it. And mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of like find out as much as I can, basically. And um, so, I mean, that that's kind of how the process was for me that I felt like I was, like it wasn't going to happen unless I, I was going to push it along. But you know, I know my lane a little bit, you know, I tend to swerve out of it occasionally, mm -hmm. but, um, I, you know, I really do like the writing process. Um, something that I've kind of noticed about myself my whole life is that I really do like just sitting there writing about something, you know, the creative sentences that kind of come in and out of your head. Yeah. And then the editing process, I noticed I like that too, but, um, it's definitely not my, uh, my strong suit. You know, I would not have been picked as the kid to write a <laughs> book at old Loganese school down there <laughs> it's, it's great though i mean that's an amazing 
you hear, you see that reflected time and again, you know, these like, these moments where people are able to take something that they've struggled with and use that as the thing that they then create from, you know, and I'm curious, you know, you're a woodworker, right? Or I don't know your specific title in that regard. I have a hardwood floor business. You have a hardwood floor business. You're working with wood. I'm curious, you know, in creating this book, you know, if, if any of those skills translated or if there were lessons that you've learned. Yeah, you know, sticking, yeah, just sticking to it. Like construction in particular, no day is ever the way you imagine it going usually. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's way better. Sometimes it's slightly what you thought, and, you know, but it's, um, you know, um, I mean, I, I like what I do, but I feel like I'm always kind of one foot into something else. I've always been that way. Like I got into photography and then gave that up and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm into beekeeping now and I'm thinking about how that's just kind of fun, but more of a responsibility than I had thought about in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. But, um, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it was weird because I, I knew I had to put something together about Paul. Otherwise, it, it just wasn't going to get out of my head. You know, like I was, I was definitely a little um, off the deep end string theory type person mm-hmm. for a few months when, when this was all. Because I was just finding information and it would just blow my mind. I had to call my cousins and tell them this and that. And finally, I started to be like, you know, I want them to actually read this, so I'm going to stop calling them. So then I it Can't just, give them it all just the all started right building up in my head more and more. My poor wife was like, you know, I love Paul. Paul seems great, you know, born one day before her, all these things. Uh-huh. She loved him, but, you know, she'd, she'd heard enough of it. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I got to a certain point where, um, you know, the the voices of these ancestors kind of quieted down and we're like, okay, this can this can – this can go out now and you can, you can kind of keep pushing it. You just need to, you know, it's weird. Cause I, I am, I'm telling somebody's life that has no, no, no opinion, no say mm-hmm. in what I do with it. Um, and it's, it's an amazing story that has the ability to go far and be made into a, you know, a big movie. And it's, 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 it's probably, um, you know, the book is, feels like a first step to me, yeah. you know, in terms of the, the published one. If the, the other one feels quite finished in terms of the factual information that I can record for the family in the future. But there's, there's, others, there's just a lot of details about this man that I'm sure are sitting out there in different ways, you know, um, when when you were going through this process of, of collating all the information and putting it together into a narrative, um, were there certain family members that, that, you know, stepped up and kind of pointed you in different directions or, you know, influenced the direction that this, you know, that this story took? Um, I mean, not really in like direction wise, but, um, you know, I could definitely feel the excitement more from certain ones mm-hmm. than others, which which would, you know, make me feel validated, I guess, you know. Um, but it was weird. Like, I, was, I felt like I was almost, like, slightly yelling at my 
you know, my dad and his <laughs> uncles and like, why didn't you guys make this like a national holiday in our family? You yeah, know, yeah. like we need to, or like we need to you know, light candles and honor this guy every, mm-hmm. well, you know, but it's just, you know, it's like my, my family's close, but you know, like most families, certain things don't get talked about. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, did you know, your this dad was one a, of them. Did your dad have a similar, like, what was your dad? I'm curious, you know, your, your grandpa, you've, you've discovered, you know, that this guy was such a big part of your grandpa's world. I'm curious, like, was that a, a story that your dad was told when he was little? Yeah, they were all told it. They all knew they like, but they didn't know certain details that I'd found and that my grandpa had written. And mm-hmm. then also that, that file that was, you know, accumulated because it was basically a cable in Harbin that was communicating with people in Japan and Europe for getting jobs, mostly Jewish people, I assume. And so it's just these stack of historical cables. I mean, I'd be really curious to read all the other ones, you know? Yeah. Because there was just a lot of people passing through there. And there's there's people actually mentioned in um, the file about Paul that, you know, like they're considering these other people for the position that Paul got hired. And I'm all, you know, I got really curious about like what happened to this guy. There was some, um, I forget his name right now, but you know, he's some guy in, in, um, worked in some factory in Dusseldorf and was like in Holland and I'm sure was, you know, wanting to get out, you know, cause you know, I think Holland was, wasn't, they weren't occupied at that point, but I'm sure if you, we're getting any information out of Germany, then you, you knew that better, mm-hmm. better to leave. Right. So, you know, like stuff like that. I, and that's a lot of uh, the stuff I'm actually the most excited about publishing this book is that there are clues out there that people might read it and say, that's my family. Like that's my grandpa, mm. you know? And like, I'm really curious where they ended up, you know, cause I'm, I just became really curious where all these people ended up, you know, like there's these really interesting dovetail parts of the book. Um, I don't really want to spoil it, but it's real kind of touching detail. The fact that Paul Paddock at the end of his life is taken care of by a man named Franz Bomber. And Franz Bomber was my grandpa's best friend in medical school. And he was a member of the SS in Austria before it was even legal to be a member of the SS in Austria. It was mm. actually illegal up until Anschluss. And so he, um, you know, basically in that time period and in, in the months of Anschluss kind of realizes the errors of his ways. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to say like repents or anything because I feel like he really transformed as a person like in those months and you know he ends up being the primary caretaker of Paul Paddock at the end of his life. Wow. So it's like here's this former SS member who's taking care of this gay Jewish man who means so much to his best friend growing up. Like that connection. The reason that he said I will take care of Paul when Paul can't take care of himself is because of his connection to my grandpa. Yeah, I mean, and, that's a pretty big 180 right there. Yeah, right? and it's like like that right there. I feel like I feel like there's a book just in that, honestly, like just those two characters. Totally. 
and you know or an I, Oscar grab movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, but it's like that's you know that's that's fiction that would, that would become fiction totally, because totally. all I have are, you know, everything that I know about Paul is in that book. I'm sure I'll find out more, but yeah. you know what's what's available to find that I found in the last two years or three years is is in there. So I wanted just to ask you what you would think about because we've kind of we've like touched on a couple elements of the story kind of like given painted almost an echo maybe of what this guy yeah Paul Paddock was do you think it would be valuable just to give like a very basic summary of the story for people that are curious about what this book is or what it's about i feel i feel like maybe i should have done that in the beginning with you but Maybe this would be a good time to just kind of like. I mean, I love unorthodox situations. Yeah, so it's kind of how podcasts are. You know? Yeah, but I think maybe no, we'll it would be do, valuable. We'll, we'll to, do. Yeah, we'll do the synopsis at the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you made it this far, you know, now we can give you the goods. Yeah, now we can spoil the book for you, but hopefully, yeah. still buy it. It's coming yeah, out, well, coming you out not, May twenty fifth. You don't have to give it all away, but maybe, you know, it's like the coffee table conversation. You're like, oh, I wrote a book. Someone's like, oh, what's it about? Like, how would yeah, you summarize? I mean, I, I love just telling people everything. Yeah, I've been doing that for the last few years and I'm realizing I, I, sh I should probably not, but I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, it's really a story about a family with this extremely talented, quite eccentric character who was, um, obviously a man of his word and a man of his own being. He was going to do what he wanted to in life. And so just that is, is interesting, but you know, it's like he, when he goes off to World War One, he goes to a store in Vienna and buys a monkey and puts it in a big old cage and gives it to his mom when he parts to World War One because he figures he may not survive and this little creature is gonna replace him. Mm. And so it's like, you know, that little detail kind of really sums up for me, um, who he was growing up with the family, you know? Because when you read about the rest of the family, no one comes off as very funny. They're all rather serious in their, yeah. own, in their own way. Um, but he just stands out as this, you know, multi-talented person. You know, he loved to write. He loved to um, play music, cook. You know, he just, he was that guy. You know, he was the guy that you want to hang out with and you want to ask your important questions to in life because you know he's going to listen and he's going to give you good advice you know so it's like for me that's how i kind of picture him all the way up until his formative you know i guess his world war one is rather formative but after that i feel like when he works in the um factory and then you know goes off on his own and makes his own business it's like that just really tells this like expansion part of his life this like you know, I'm I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to love who I'm going to love. And I'm going to try to, you know, compete with this big lock company. And, you know, and then it all gets smashed to pieces. Yet, yet again, I mean, World War One smashed his whole trajectory of his career really into pieces in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And then World War Two basically completely rips apart the life that him and his family had built for years you know the family moves there and to, to austria in like i think 1860 something ish so 80 some odd years um 
you know, the family's been working and, you know, kids going to school and this and that. And, and then when it all gets smashed to pieces and he basically sees this golden coin flipping around in the air as a job in Japan, says, I'll take that. Mm -hmm. And not only does he say like, I'm going to take that, like he actually has the, you know, he wrote books on metalwork and wrote articles. So he, you know, he had the ability to put in an application that they considered and accepted. So, you know, I mean, that's, you know, you know, the story is basically a super fascinating person that probably would have rather have been just cooking with his family and friends and running his business. He would have been a fun person to be around, but he would have just been this average person. But all these things that he ends up having to, you know, grapple with and, and then not only that, that he saves himself, he manages to bring five people with him, you know, and a passage from Trieste to uh, Shanghai and then on to Japan is not cheap, I imagine. Mm -hmm. and, and then it was, you know, I'm sure. And he wins the lottery. Like, that's, yeah. That's and that, that's, that's too, what, right? that's what paid for it. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I think about that a lot. Like it just seems there's so many parts about the story that, do not seem feasible. Like if you were writing it as fiction, you'd be like, well, that's just too corny at this point. Like, but, um, stranger than fiction. Yeah. And it started to make me think, you know, Hey, maybe Paul had a bunch of money and just had it in the bank and was like, I'm going to make up this story about the lottery. Cause mm -hmm. everyone will get all excited and then they'll like accept my help. They won't be like, Oh, we don't want to take your money out. But that's probably not what happened. Cause you know, the, the Nazis were pretty thorough with, robbing you of everything mm -hmm. so i think that he got these winnings and got them into you know his boyfriend carl von hossinger's hands and as an aryan man he could walk in and take him and put him in a bank under his name and paul could still communicate with carl and say hey purchase two tickets from trieste to shanghai and then from shanghai to japan i will meet them at the docks in yokohama wow and basically just shows up at the docks and says Give me my family, you know, much more politely, I assume. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's 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 kind of a weird book to try to make a synopsis from because there's just all these little parts of it, and it it doesn't, you know, being a true story, it's not clean, you know, it's not like oh this, I mean, as it's as clean as it can really be, mm -hmm. but you know, everything in life is quite messy, so um, you know, it's not like he comes back to, to Austria and, you know, him and Carl get together and have a great love affair and, you know, open a cafe and it's the best gay, ca you know, none of that happens. You know, it's his life just plays out the way it, you know, did and the way most lives do. You know? Totally. And that, that was one of the things that really started to sink on me with that all of our lives are they're really special, but they're also super just mundane like you really feel it when you're going through life like if you can be happy doing the mundane things then that's a successful life I feel like mm -hmm. like I feel like I as soon as I get myself a little down feel the weight of things it's like it's just nothing seems worth it anymore and I feel like that was Paul's biggest gift out of all the gifts he had his biggest gift was like the ability to you know v you know hypothetically throw the entire family on his back and say, you know, we're going to, we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to have a good time while we do it too. 
you know, because he he's just all these little little super kind details that he does that really show um, the way that he you know felt about the situation, the family, um, what what things called for, and it's just he. I really wish I could have met him. I mean, he would be speaking German. I'd be speaking English. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't. Did he speak English as well, though? No, nah, I don't think he ever learned English too well. Okay. Um, but it, it sounds like, you know, through his actions, also like the clearest refutation of the stereotypes about someone like that at that time in the world. You know, the things that people were saying about Jews and homosexuals, like, this guy is like a living proof of how bullshit all that. Right? Yeah, it's just you know, people. It's like, yeah, it's like a direct contradict. Yeah, you know? it's just just people trying to like you know figure out what they want for dinner and how they're mm-hmm. gonna make some money to pay certain bills and how they're gonna get a monkey for their mom. Yeah, they how go they're gonna to make war. their mom smile yeah. before they go off to war yeah, and like yeah. you know it's I mean it's really people that were born in the eighteen nineties. You know, eight, late 1880s, eight, you know, mid 19 you know, they lived through, if they were in Europe mm-hmm. and they lived through it all, like, it's just, it's, it's, the world we live in is so affected by that, you know, like World mm-hmm. War II is affected by World War One, and World War Two is still alive today. Like, it's, it's just right there under the surface, you know. It's interesting. I've been kind of obsessed. It, it's funny that we're talking about this story today because... Lately, I've been I've become pretty obsessed with this period of time. Like, I'd, I'd say growing up, I've always been really fascinated by like mi- the medieval era, you know, and you know, of course, like the Wild West. Like, there's these these moments that are told often through film or through fiction. Yeah. But lately, like that, like late 1800s, early 1900s period of the Industrial Revolution. I just keep finding myself drawn to these stories that take place in this context. And the more that I think about it, you know, we're a hundred years removed now from that period. Yeah. In a very similar, you know, parallel situation as we're looking at the way that technology is accelerating, you know, no, it's... with the AI, with the social, you know, the huge social upheaval with, with social media and the internet. And, you know, as someone who, we both grew up or came of age in the nineties, you know, the we're kind of living in a similar hinge point culturally that this story takes place in, albeit a hundred years later. So I think there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn. Yeah, there, there really are. I mean, it's, it's kind of frightening, honestly. Um, when you think about what, followed from 1920 <laughs> to 1940 yeah. yep and 45 you know it's it's um yeah what are the 2040s gonna look yeah like, i don't think know? that we <laughs> i don't think we can afford another fight like that as a species yep i just don't the toys we have now i shouldn't say toys but you know the mm-hmm. the stakes are have never been yeah high. and it's just like and i don't think that they fully grasped that when they started barreling into world war ii and and um I don't think the Nazis really cared, um, but you know, m- most modern people know that the weaponry we have now is, you know, 
tearing up our streets physically mm-hmm. and uh, has the ability to do way worse. Just wish our leaders would figure that part out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems like an easy problem, you know, just get along. I feel like, you know, like, you know, Paul Paddock probably could have come up with some good anecdotes to make us get along a little mm. bit better, but um, I don't know. There's a real internal desire in human beings to defend what is yours and what that means is mercurial, you know, and you can harness a lot of power when people are scared. Yeah. And, um, you know, you, you don't think straight, A, and so it's just, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, like, Vienna at the turn of the century, you know, 1900 was a was a place to be. Happened you know, in, happened in yeah, spot, right? like you're talking some of the biggest, you know, explosions in art and science and you know, you name it, it's mm-hmm. happening in in Vienna and in Berlin, which is you know crazy to wrap your mind around the fact that the most liberal place in Europe apparently um, was Berlin, going into uh, World War II. So, mm-hmm. but it's um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a part of the, you know, I never, I don't really get into it because it's it's a can of worms that's meant more for an open conversation. Sure. Than like, this is how I feel about what's happening now and yeah, yeah. Why, why I think these parallels are going to spin us in the wrong direction. It's like, but, you know, there's there's things that I feel like in our lifetime, like we never would have imagined happened. You know, like what happened in Charlottesville is just like, mm-hmm. really? I mean, a year from now, we're going to have people marching around in a university with torches saying, you know, basically echoing 1930-something mm-hmm. Germany. That's, um, you know, banning books. They were, they were banning books. They were creating, you know, laws that you couldn't make fun of Hitler and you know, talk bad about Nazism, mm-hmm. get thrown in jail for it. And it's like, I don't feel like our country could get to that. Um, I feel like, you know, the ability to speak your mind is quite powerful, but um, so are angry people with weapons. So well, I don't know. We got to, I, I think, uh, you know, the lesson that I'm hearing through it all is to, uh, you know, despite the way the winds are blowing and, and the, you know, the kind of bigger picture stories that are manifest in this time that we live in, we all got to kind of emulate this Paul Patel character. Paul Paddock. And, sorry. It's Paul, okay. Paul Paddock character. No. And uh, thanks for correcting me. Um, yeah, and no, no worries. You know, it's not fine, like he's a household name. Yeah, yeah. This Paul Patel, Patel is though. <laughs> yeah, this Paul Paddock character, and you know, find our own way to dance with grace. Yeah, through through, through the times, and um, you know, and and I think you know one of the big takeaways from this story is the importance of community and family, and you know, doing, you know, putting in the effort in our own small ways to create that sense of community and family to reinforce it, to support those people. Because when the larger pattern gets so tumultuous and chaotic, it's like really all we have power over is, you know, our local 
community and our and our connections with our family and that's what we yeah. need to be you know and it's a lot easier said than done to mm-hmm. be your best self I'm, I'm you know there's there's I can't imagine Paul doing anything that he come across as like anything other than maybe slightly funny and annoying as he's doing it <laughs> but I know that I've been a bad grumpy person oh, yeah. at points in my life mm-hmm. but yeah like you know I've, I feel like Paul could teach us a lot about um, how to get along and how to how to enjoy an evening, things like that. You know, like a, it, it, it's sometimes it's hard just to get through the day because you don't have anything to do, and then sometimes it's hard to get through the day because you got too much to do, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you don't know what to do because you're confused. And it's like I look at him and I'm just like, man, it seems like. He just was like, okay, this is what needs to get done. So we're going to take the dog on a walk and then we're going to go home. We're going to make dinner and then we're going to make my rug for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do a little writing. I know he was doing writing. Like I, my grandpa writes about how he used to like to write short stories and all these things. So I'm holding out hope that there's a stack of German short stories over in Austria somewhere for me to find. Yeah. But, um, you know, we shall see about that. Sweet, man. Well, Dude, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, before we before we get out of here, this book coming out soon. So May twenty fifth, May twenty fifth, w- which would have been Paul Paddock's one hundred thirtieth birthday. Okay, nice. How can people find it? How can people? Uh, you can to- you can find it on Amazon um, and Barnes and Nobles. If you just put in an ordinary man. Bach, B-O-C-K, it'll come up to the top. If you put in an ordinary man, there's a bunch of other ordinary man books and whatnot that take precedent at this point. But um, the book's called An Ordinary Man from Vienna to Japan and Back During World War II. So if you put that whole title in, it'll come up. But An Ordinary Man with just Bach, B-O-C-K, will bring it to the top. And you can pre-order the hardcover and the... the ebook at this point, the paperback's going to get pushed out like right a little bit before cool. or around May 25th. So well, just and I'll, I'll put a couple the links, weeks. I'll put the links in the show notes as well so people can access that. And if people want to connect with you, is there a space? Uh, there's for that? an email address in the book okay. where you can send me your thoughts. Okay. That's ba- I just threw an email on. <laughs> you know, I only want people to, to send it if yeah. they're like, I really want to write something. I didn't sure. want to be like, Write something to me, but it's yeah, yeah. it's there. There's an email address that nice. I'd like to get because I'm really curious what emotions it brings up in people because it's it's impossible to read about stuff that people went through um, that's this horrible and not have something come up. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of opportunity for for you to you know grapple with your own life by reading about this other person's life and you know like I really like reading um nonfiction stuff I've read very few fiction books in my life well um, I can give you some some recs because I'm a big fiction guy so. yeah the one that I did <laughs> did just read that I will highly recommend is called The Book Thief The Book Thief yeah the guy's nice. Marcus Zooks I want to say is the okay. author but um that's that's a really good book and you know of course it's about World War II and Right on. But it's um it's really good. Nice. It's, it's, you know, so cool, man. Well, dude, thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Hell yeah. This Everyone was... go check out an ordinary man. Please do. Uh and uh until next time. Peace. Yep.